you listen to Irish Radio Canada's Woman Abroad and Ireland's ancient east is a designation given to the southeast of Ireland and it has a treasure trove of beautiful scenery and also of historic places and um, just walks, trails, you name it, it's got it and there's some wonderful literature and books available and I have the pleasure of sitting across at the moment from Andrew Kelly who has numerous books under his belt and we're going to focus on some of the history and some of what he has worked on over the years and uh, one of the ones I have in front of me at the moment is A Century of Trade and Enterprise in Waterford a photographic essay 1880 to 1980 um, Andy, thanks a million for agreeing to come along for the chat. No and uh, straight off, it's a photographic essay. A bit about yourself and what got you interested in this kind of stuff and into photography, into photographic history. Yeah. Well, the photography bit was, I think, I probably was about 10 years of age when my mother gave me an old box camera which had been left out in the rain and the, the mirrors of the view fender were gone out of it. They were the little black ones. The little black box cameras. Yeah, I, I'm old enough to actually remember <laughs> them. <laughs> so that's what started me and then I started developing photographs myself, black and white, and went on from there. And in the, um, I served my time with a carpenter in the 60s. Right. And the so course of doing a restoration job in a house, we came across a box of stuff under the stairs which the owner didn't want, he said we'd go into the dump. Right. I recognised photographic stuff in it and uh, he suggested I take it away with me and among them the collection of stuff was a box of old blast negatives of Dungarvan town taken right. in 1900 and uh, that was mid in mid 60s and I started collecting photographs from then and I'm still collecting. <laughs> Explain a glass negative because in this day and age of digital photography yeah. there's, well, it, there's people first of all wouldn't even know what a negative yeah, is yeah. so then when you get back to a glass negative. Um, I often say to people actually in one sense other than digital photography hadn't advanced because there was instant photography in the 1870s and 1880s and how that was done was um, you, you, you had plates just squares of glass like panes of window panes of windows right. and they were various sizes from almost the size of an A4 page down to kind of postcard size right. uh, and your cameras then were uh, would, for different size cameras would accommodate that but photographers way back in the 1870s and 80s would have a tent, yes, a dark tent which they'd put up if they were taking outside photographs. In the tent they'd sensitise with silver oxide the, the, the glass plate, okay. mounted into a timber holder, slide it into the back of the camera, yeah. then remove the cover plate on, on it for a certain length of time for the exposure, right. then the, uh, take, take out the, the holder and develop the negative later and choose glass because a negative and glass and then you could produce prints after that. Now when you said that we would have seen in what our old if anyone sees what our old movies or movies depicting old periods of time hmm. where you have the guy getting in under the hood. Yeah. So that was that type that of was that time. And the reason for the hood was that on that camera before you slide in the, the carrier with, with the glass negative you had a, a, a forward wall like a frosted glass back on the camera. Okay. And the hood was to keep the light out before you were focusing. And okay. you focused onto the uh, ground glass screen 
and then you, when you had focus you slide in the negative the carrier open the negative camera and sometimes there would have been they were even back then there wouldn't have been a shutter or lease there all would have been with a cap on the lens okay you would have determined that maybe it was going to take a 30 second exposure and you'd lift the cap off of the lens for 30 seconds and then put it back on and hope nobody moved and hope nobody moved because there's several images there's one particular image in Waterford no it is what yeah one in Waterford in Tremor sorry in Tremor yeah, right. where there's a horse with no head <laughs> uh, on the beach because the horse turned his head sideways okay and you just have the neck right uh, and no and a guy up on the horse with no head so <laughs> just, just, but this is the movement and this is why people had to stay still and this is why even uh, studio portraits were so rigid and posed right because they couldn't smile they couldn't do anything with it. so the chemicals involved um, in putting the, the uh, silver oxide or whatever on yeah. the plates would, would any of that that was some degree of a dangerous or these chemicals had some well, dangerous it would have been a certain amount of danger on the chemicals all the chemicals even right up to time when I was in the dark room uh, you, you had a, an acid bath for fixing the, the, the image right and, and when you've been in a confined area in a dark, my dark room which was under the stairs yeah you could come out of fairly crazy <laughs> for the <laughs> so when you say there was instant photography back in the yeah in the so then after someone how how was the instant process the instant process was if you, uh, in the early times there was a different system called album which is basically the white of an egg was the, was used as on the emulsion end of it that was pro had to be processed instantly so okay. when they take it out of the camera they go back into the tent and process your and that would also be a print uh, to the album print system so they effectively had to produce them instantly or the image would fade okay so let me get it this way so you had this glass piece of glass was inside some kind of a casing to protect it the yeah. casing was put into the camera yeah and at that point the casing could be removed to allow well, the casing was put into the camera there was also a slider which kept it sealed from the light. When it went into the camera, you pulled out the slider. Right, and, and, then, and then you put the slider back, slider in, back in to keep it sealed. And, and you would take that then into your yeah. tent. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, a photographer at that time could have had half a dozen, maybe a dozen of those plates. Each plate would take two negatives. So you would turn it over. And so they could take, go out and take 10 or 12 photographs before they come back in to process it. But they were effectively instant because they would process them they are on the spot. Okay, so now you've this glass plate with the image on it. How does that then get to being on paper? Well, it, it, that's, that system isn't changed. That you, again, they, when, when negatives, after that, when, when emulsion or light sensitive paper came in, which was um, uh, silver oxide, mm -hmm. effectively, uh, uh, which was light sensitive and when you had that then you had two ways of doing it one with your large negative you could lay the negative down on the sheet of paper shine a light on it for a few seconds whatever period was determined and then develop that in a developer and then you put it into the developer for maybe four and a half minutes and then into a, a, a stop bat which was an acid bat that mm -hmm. stopped the action of the developer and then you put it into a fixing solution which would fix the image Okay, and so when you said to shine the light, I'm, I'm intrigued because you told me each plate of glass could have something on each side. Yes. So when you're shining the light, 
the paper itself, you know, you, you, each individual, when the, the carrier and the camera yeah. would have two glass sensitive sheets. One was exposed from one side, okay, and so and then you turn it over and the other. Okay, it wasn't. It was. It, it was the double sided. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's fascinating, I find as well, is when you tell me the process, mm. that the evolution of a process like that, which is complicated, and um, the science behind it, and its ev- evolution. Um, that, that, uh, have you any insight on to the process there? Well, that it, it, there, there was a number of different processes, and it, actually, photography, as we know, it is goes back to the 1840s to uh, an Englishman, Fox Talbot. That, but at the same time, and even prior to that, there was um, a French company uh, to the, produce what they call a daguerreotype okay. uh, um, system. But the Fox Talbot one just got in ahead of it with a more um, simplified means of doing it. Okay. And that developed on to, then to, well, that was the, how to get the image onto glass and then onto prints after that. And then you got the, the negative, that, as we know it, came, became uh, after that. And, and then right, actually even in the 1870s, uh, the, the usually another system that came in was producing photographs on tin. Okay. It would be sensitized plate, tin plate, and they're known as tin plates, but they lasted about 10 years from the mid-1870s to the mid-1880s. Okay. So we know as is that like if we look at an old photograph, it may have deteriorated or faded. Yes. Did the glass negatives deteriorate? No, the glass negatives, they didn't do so. Normally, it, it, what happened there with photographs that deteriorate is because the light-sensitive chemical is silver oxide, mm-hmm. and oxide tarnishes, mm-hmm. rust effectively. Mm-hmm. And that's why old photographs go brown. Mm-hmm. There's a different way back even then, they knew, uh, they knew by what is called sepia tone photographs. Sepia tone is where you put in your print into a bath of liquid that would remove the oxide. Okay. And uh, it was scary to look at it because you put in a perfectly good black and white photograph and the image fades off it completely. Okay. But you take it from there then and you put it into a silver sulfide right. solution and the image comes back, but it comes back in, in a tone of brown. Okay. Various sh- uh, tones but, uh, of intensity, but in brown. And that was a means of preserving all photographs because the silver sulfide doesn't tarnish like the silver oxide. I mean, silver oxide is like any silver tray or anything like that. That's right, it tarnishes. Yeah, and that's. And it, it also, old photographs, when they start to deteriorate, they usually deteriorate from the outside in. So you could get a photograph, the center could be reasonably sharp, okay. but the image faded out to nothing. Okay. Now, the 10 year period where the tin. Was, has anything much survived of that or was there anything of that in what you found? No, well I have some tin plates. I have a tin plate actually of a oh, how does he he'd be a great granduncle of mine that right. went to New York and he sent home a tin plate photograph which had to be sometime in he went in the 1860s right. with his family and uh, he sent back a tin plate photograph of himself which I still have Right, and does it deteriorate? Or no no, it, it's not quite quality. It deteriorates in the sense that uh, if it's not handled properly over time, the image can start to peel off the thing. 
for urban data to, to still, I've scanned it and got good images. Right, right. Mm. So then moving along to the treasure trove that you got your hands on, the time period that they related to? That was only about a dozen negatives, but it was 1900s in Dungarvan. Yeah. And we had them attributed to uh, one photographer, but we later discovered to a different guy. It was uh, Edward Brennan. Okay. That, that, and Edward Brennan is, um, had a, a publishing, a printing place in, in Dungarvan in the 1870s. He published a monthly gazette which ran for about 10 years. He was also uh, set up the first cycling club, possibly in Europe, definitely in Ireland, on the British Isles, and uh, ran the first competitive cycle race in the 1870s, I think, or 1860s or 1870s, okay. which the cup is still in the museum in Nungarv, and the cup that was awarded. Right. So, um, I know I've seen photographs from, uh, I think it's the Father Brown series. Yes. And I remember reading that one of the interesting aspects of that was that, unlike most people, um, photography back then, because it was so expensive, you would usually just do it uh, of a person, a portrait. Mm -hmm. Whereas Father Brown, I guess, captured scenery and effectively became uh, a social, a pictorial social history. Absolutely, yes. So, in your treasure trove, was it a similar type of pictorial social history? Yes, some of it, because there is collections available, say, in the National Library of Ireland. Uh, in the 1890s to about 1920s, there was a number of photographers toured the country, like uh, Lawrence the Lawrence collection in the National mm -hmm. were taken by Robert French. There was a Valentine collection by, he was a Scotch photographer that toured the country. There was also in the South East, uh, uh, Arthur Poole, mm -hmm. and the 65,000 of his collections. Now I tended to, most of those scenic photographs were taken from uh, almost identical vantage points in different towns because they were even um, Tour and photographers come in, we go to the local guy, what's the best place to take a scene that's going to sell? Right. And, but I always prefer to get private collections of photographs, and I have quite a number of private collections. Uh, would be from uh, possibly the end of about the, uh, the 1930s and that, and 40s and 50s, 60s, the Short Hall collection, which were, he, his interest was in um, shipping, mainly right. sail ships. Um, trains, steam trains, and canal barges. And also among that collection, which we got years ago, uh, was a 16mm film of, taken again about the 40s and 50s and that, of uh, the canal barges, the sailing vessels, and the steam trains. Right. And as well as that, I also have his projector, because he, for his, his old projector, and his, he had a Leica camera, which was the Rolls Royce of cameras in his day, the Leica was in his camera and projector. And I have a number of other collections. Wouldn't be as many as his, but there was again in Watford City, there was a guy that operated on the streets where he just photographed people walking on the streets. Right. And um, in the mid 80s, I got access to about four and a half thousand of his negatives. Uh, and just recently, we I went through and scanned them. There were 35 mil negatives. 
he was a, Frank Rolls was his name, he was a unique guy because he was going to dance halls as well, taking photographs of the couples and the things. And he had a 35mm camera. At that time, a 35mm camera <coughs> would take a strip of film that gave you 36 images. Yes. He'd go into a dance hall, and if he was just to use that camera, he'd be changing the film all night. So he made his own cameras that took a 10 metre roll of film, which would give him 450 negatives without changing. You know, I have two of his cameras at the moment on loan. And uh, he also had a system for developing that 10 metre roll of negatives without cutting it. He had a unique system. If he had been out the night before, uh, and we'd say he had taken 500, 450 mm-hmm. and the next night he'd go to, this is more of a city now, he'd be going to the local dance hall. He'd step outside his shop, he'd write 451 on the pavement and photograph it. And then every half an hour in the, during the night in the dance hall, he would hold his hand in front of the lens and press the shutter. So if you came in to him then the following day and said, well, you took our photograph last night at the Olympia Ballroom and that, and he'd say, roughly what time were you? And you'd say, well, he thinks about half twelve. So he was able to identify within a half an hour mm-hmm. where your image was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I have four and a half thousand of his negatives, but they also included negatives of his brother-in-law, who also operated as Frank Snaps in Limerick, and uh, he would have operated, they were operator Kiersk in seaside resorts like Ballybunion and right. Scott Hill, right. and Frank Rolls and Walter had operated, he would have a Kiersk in Tramore, right. and people would go up and get their photographs taken on the beach and things like that. And then the following day, he'd have his prints ready, and you go back up the following day and collect it. Here is one that we took one Sunday afternoon. I remember it was in the summertime. It says eighteen seven forty five. The same day you promised you'd be mine. But old pictures have a way of fading. Like a love that was never meant to be Still each night I take out the family album But old photographs sure get to me Now, and again, what period was he? What were we talking he, about there? He would be, I mean, he's into the 50s, 60s. Okay. Because 1950s, 60s. There's two things about what you just told me that are interesting. One is that if he developed his own camera, yes, that's, that's uh, okay, you can say he was creative with an existing camera design. Yes. But where would you get 
10 metres of movie or film in one strip oh yeah you could do that that was um, you could buy film black and white film right. in, in bulk tanks and, and I used to do that myself and okay. you buy the 10 metre roll of film and, and I used to cut it into 36 you get reloaded with cassettes so you reload the film onto the cassette okay. and put it into the camera and use it was much much cheaper oh, I can imagine than, than buying the, the, the that's only if you're capable of developing yourself right now so and again I, I imagine based on, on the costs that the general public had to pay for developing yeah. mm-hmm. for someone who had their own dark room who were doing their own prints the economics of going into a ballroom on spec yeah. were, were there and oh, like, yeah his, 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 uh, I remember him as a child coming up Van uh, Strand Street in Warford and he'd stand out in front of you people right. walk in, and you'd hear this loud click of the camera and he'd hand you a cloakroom ticket yeah now if you took the ticket he'd say stand back I'll take that again if you could live Pictures worth a thousand words, my friend. Well, if you didn't take the ticket, he had this mechanism on the side of the camera that made a little click. But he didn't waste the negative if you right. didn't take the ticket. Right. So there's, it wasn't like digital now, you could delete one. But he, he had to have a sale for every negative. So he would take you as you were walking towards him right. and hand you the cloakroom ticket. Right. If you pass on, he hadn't wasted a negative. If you took the ticket, he'd say, stand back and tell that again. Yeah. And that's how he operated. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move along to the trade and enterprise. And the yeah. where, 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 what, this, what, where this um, evolved from, because we're looking at 1818 to 1980. Yeah. Well, where this evolved from, uh, the guy that I worked on this with was Bill Irish. Right. Bill was a lecturer in regional technical college in Warford, and he was researching, initially started researching iron founding in Warford, but then it moved on to shipbuilding in Warford. And I met him in about 1985, and when he had, I had the Photographs. We got together, and wa- I worked on with him on that on a history of shipbuilding in Warford, which is now a print, but it's um, pretty substantial volume covering uh, the 1820s to the 1880s in uh, shipbuilding in Warford. Right. And because Warford was ahead of even Harlan Rumulf at that time, ten years ahead of him in design. And to the Malcolmsons and the Whites, so that the Whites were, were wooden ships and Malcolmsons were iron ships. So I worked with him for the best part of 15 years initially on that, initially for the thesis for his degree, then it went, went on for his um, publication, which came out in 1999. And between then and, and this, this trade and enterprise came out in 2009, but just before that, Bill got a brain hemorrhage and he was pretty ill and he suggested to me that I do a book 
mm-hmm. on based on the photographs. And I, to motivate him, I said, no, look, Bill, we'll do it together. Right. So that's how this came about. Right. And it was based on my photographs, my mainly my collection of photographs and, and collections I got from other people. And um, that's how that came, one came about. And then, that was 2009, but prior to that we had done an exhibition of photographs for 2005 for the tall ships race, the first time the tall ships race came to Waterford. And the second book here, which is on the century, two centuries of tall ships, mm-hmm. when the second time the, that the, the tall ships came to Waterford, which was 2011, I think, I remember, you know, uh, we we couldn't find a place to put up an exhibition so we decided we'd do a book right and that's how the second one came about and uh, but bill was 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 pretty unwell at this stage but we still worked on together on it so and the, the photography side of it versus the history side of it to you are they interwoven or is it is it this photography is fascinating that happens to cover history or history is fascinating covered by photography I think it, it's, it's the photography kind of, when, you, when you see old photographs and different say, street scenes and you see changes in buildings and yeah. things like that that takes you into know why and when right. it happened so, so the photography leads to the history <laughs> and even though I would have always been interested in local history but to the to the photography uh, and would you say that the photography as a result makes the absorption of history a lot easier because, because yes you, you can visualize you can visualize you can visualize and actually getting back to the 2005 when the tall ships uh, race first time it came to war for what we done that time was I took about 80 old photographs of Warford City that I had which were going back to the 1880s 1890s right. and we got a photographer in the college and myself and we went around and tried to find the identical aspect Okay. and we mounted them then and now Okay. and I remember there was a, uh, an architect in Warford at the time he's dead since uh, Nicky Fewart he was the guy that organised the um, tall ships he was the main organiser on that yeah. And uh, he came in to view our exhibition. We had an exhibition in the shopping centre in Warford. And uh, his exact words to me was, I have to hold up my hand for my profession. We destroyed this town. Because the modern architecture looked so bland compared with the old architecture. Paint me a picture of islands Of things your memory still holds Something to show my grandchildren A glimpse of the green, white and gold Now when you talk about an exhibition at the the shopping centre Given the volume of material that you have You'd need the National Gallery probably to do to do a proper exhibition. Well, no, I ha- I have a display system right. which is about twenty five feet in length. It takes up to kind of um, I think about one hundred and eighty A four size photographs, and that's usually I mount them like that. I, right. I, I make the selections, and I do them several times. I don't do nothing this year because of the COVID. But right. prior to this, I would do two or three times, and actually I have the month of March and the month of September every year 
in the main central library in Waterford City that are on exhibitions. Right. And again, you're saying about 180, 200 photographs would yeah. be what to be. But again, when you tell me, how, how many thousand have you in your collection? Like 140,000. 40, yeah. I, so, uh, so the... the, well, the sometimes, I, I will, sometimes I will take maybe just a topic like street scenes. Right. And street scenes. Or sometimes I will take collections from photographers, different photographers whose whose collections I have of negatives I have and I do a selection of his like the Frank Snaps one I, I actually I had 500 because I I, I mounted them at, at um, kind of um, a5 or uh, sorry so I had about five, four or five hundred of them and the function the reason for that was that I had all these negatives but didn't know who the people were right. and these would have been from the 60s and 70s so we mounted the exhibition uh, where every image was uh, numbered and we had a visitor's book where people came in and write the number of the photograph and identify the people if right. they and to just to try to get and it was very funny that among that collection there was two or three collections of wedding photographs yeah. and one was a wedding photograph of the parents of our present Irish ambassador to America Daniel Hall. Daniel Hall. Yeah. yeah. His parents' wedding we had among it. And I've given copies of th those uh, to his family. Right. Uh, so, Andy, there must have been some interesting stories that came out of some of those. Yes. Uh, like, about, probably about four years ago, I'd done an exhibition in Yorl, uh, for the They had a commemoration there for the making of Moby Dick, the film that was made in the 50s. And um, one guy came in to me, I had all these photos, one guy came in and showed me, pointed out him as a kind of a 12 year old walking down the street with his, uh, with his sister in one hand and a woman that was playing his mother and he told me that what was going through his mind that day was why should I be walking down the street with a pretend mother when my real mother was at home until she should be down here because they were extras, they were playing extras for the film Right, you know. Right. But another guy, uh, the Irish actor Noel Postle was involved in that at the time as well. And Noel right. Postle apparently was standing outside a pub with a pint of Guinness in his hand. And there was a young fellow that was too young at the time to get a part as an extra in the film. And he went up with his copy book to Noel Postle and he said, Sir, can I have your autograph? And Noel Postle said, Of course you can, lad, he said. And he said, Hold that. And he said, He gave him the pint of Guinness. He said, I took the, my notebook. He said, Put it up in my head and was right his autograph, he said, and I was underneath drinking his pint. <laughs> and I said, what did he say to him? He said, he gave me kitten dust and sent me home. <laughs> so then, from all the ones from the, bar, the dance hall, the ballrooms, yeah. there must have been lots of couples oh, uh, yes. that are children of people. Yeah. That, uh, Actually, when I done that exhibition, of the, we, 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 we called it... Um, Identifying the past. Right. That's recorded and that exhibition. And what I got out of that was several people brought in photographs that they had been taken by Frank Snaps of themselves or other partners or wives or girlfriends or whatever at the time. And uh, so I have quite a number of those with the actual names of the people now as well on them, you know. Now, there's something just hit me as you said that there. The photographer's name was Frank. Frank Rolls. Okay, so yeah, okay. There was someone else when you said Frank Snaps. Yeah. Because we used to refer to these as Snaps. 
Yeah, snapshots. Yeah, snapshots. That's what, that's what, and that's what he, he operated as fine snaps. And also Frank Gogan and Limerick, which would be his brother in law. Right. He operated as fine snaps in Limerick. Right. And they would because they went to the the sea surface arts and yeah, yeah. snaps. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because again that was the, the phraseology I go for as yeah. well, yeah. Yeah. There were snapshots. Snapshots, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And um, so then as cameras evolved, like there was a period where um, if you were if there was a camera in the house first of all, you were uh, in a minority. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, as they became a little bit more common with the old brownie, well, the one you talked about, the box camera, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And then the brownie came in. Yeah. Um, so, did that change what photography, where it was, and how, how it evolved? Well, it is, it, yeah, it would have made it more accessible right. to people. You didn't have to have, uh, you know, uh, to be terribly wealthy to have a camera. Because some of the older cameras, the old um, half-plate or, or full-plate cameras would have been expensive. And, and even the Robert Hortog's Leica camera, even to buy a Leica camera now, even to buy an old Leica camera of that period, in probably two or three grand. So there was there was always good cameras there outside the thing, but the box camera basically the box brown was the basic one that was opened up further. So the quality then that would have been there, you're saying the original uh, negatives mm. from way back. So when the the box camera and the brownie came along, and people sent off their well, got their stuff developed. Was the quality still there? It wouldn't have been as good as the large format negatives. Right. Because your large format negative could be, which is imperial size, which is almost the size of an A4 sheet of paper. Not right. Yeah. And your print off of that would be a direct print, whereas the negatives would be much smaller. And to get your large print, you are magnifying it. Right. Uh, so, in, in terms of digital, you know, we all hear now about the pixels. The pixel, yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, you know, we know that a uh, digital camera now can be 13 million and megapixels yeah. or whatever yeah. um, and I know a newspaper print used to be down at God knows what 60 yeah. dots per, per square inch or something yeah, like that yeah. um, when you take off a glass from the old glass what kind of Pixelation rate, or yeah, relatively. It's, 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 uh, yeah. it's not pixels. Yes, you know, it's not know. pixels. So it's, it's 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 solid. Whatever they are, blacks mm. and whites or greys or right. they're solid colours. Whereas the, the um, digital, the only way that can do it is do it in a series of dots. Yes, the more dots per inch, the, the the better the quality. Naturally, yeah. So. Going back again, because the the century here that you've done of the uh, trades and enterprise, you focused on trades and enterprise. Yeah. Why and what? Uh, again, in, again, that, in that one. Again, it's probably it was, it's happened one. I guess is it that their businesses are more interesting. The, the yeah, it was, it was activities, if you like. Right. Different activities, like we have from farming, okay, to uh, industrial thing, to shipping, to barges, to you know, uh, even street traders and, and stuff like that. So, so it's more of a social history. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. history, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And over the hundred years, the transformation 
Because it's visually there, it's oh, yeah. huge. It's huge, absolutely huge, Rick. Huge. And when you look at something like that, because that then would have brought you through the First World War, the Civil War, yeah. the Second World War, um, all those periods in Irish history. Yeah, but we, see, we, we, weren't, we weren't looking from a historic point of view in that sense. We were looking for the, the industrial, the trade and the enterprise. Oh, I know, but I'm in, say, in so far as in the, in the early, in the 1860s, how trade, how wealth uh, translated into yeah. society that you were effectively capturing it. Yeah, we were doing our best to capture that as it, yeah. Yeah, through the images that we were. Yeah. So then, with all the stuff you have now, the the odd forty odd thousand, how much is there there that you um, really haven't been able to? expose adequately and, and that you would say you'd, you'd love to have the opportunity to do so and what aspect of it? Well, <laughs> yeah there, there would be I mean there's a lot of stuff I don't have actually I probably was better at cataloging stuff pre-digital when I was actually had my own logs and, and identified every negative in that and when the digital should have made it easier to catalog all this stuff and identify it, I haven't been doing it as good. But uh, so, uh, a question on that then: Have you actually scanned digitally all your photographs? Um, most, most of them. So right. a lot of them I would have got. A lot of the collections I have, I would have got prints like the ones from the Frank Snap School. I, I would have scanned them and got them. I don't have, but most of the stuff I have, because way back before the digital era came in, when I was still collecting. People used to bring photographs to me, like the museum in Dungarvan and local historians they bring all photographs to me yeah. I had a copying stand set up and I'd copy them that's why I was buried the bulk film right. uh, and I used 25 ASA ag for film which was very slow speed but it gives you good um, good resolution and good uh, contrast right. for all negatives so I would copy stuff so most of the stuff I have is on 25 mil negative I also have, say, maybe two and a quarter square and, and three and a half by two and a half negatives. Also, quite a number of old glass negatives as well right. that I have. So, and so that is secure and can be reproduced again and again. Well, right. the problem with digital is I lost a hard drive with possibly 30,000 photographs on it, which I am only getting back probably about 20%. Intact, and right. then I get another maybe twenty percent of corrupt images and incomplete images. Right, right. I still say that uh, I can I can go down to my dark room, which I don't have, but I can always convert it back tonight and produce an image before the morning from a negative that was taken 120 years ago. Right. But I can't say I can do that in 120 years time with a digital image. Right, right. Indeed. There's something I'm not seeing here What's wrong with this picture? Something's not exactly clear One of the other pieces you have out there is called Going to the Pictures 
Yeah, going, uh, going to the pit just to, uh, I was asked to get involved in that with Frank O'Donoghue. Frank, I had worked with Frank on initially on a book that he brought out called The Five Minute Bell, which was a book about the Warford Tramore Railway. Okay. And that was a unique railway in itself. It was the only line in the country that went be, with no intermediate stations, just went from the Manor Street in Warford to Tramore, no intermediate stations, and it was shut down in 1960. Uh, by government order at the time but so he wrote a book and the, the name the five minute bell was there was a bell in the Tramore station that rang five minutes before the train would leave so people in the area that would be travelling to Warford knew when this bell went they had five minutes to get to the station Right. so I worked with Frank on that then he a local historian Julian Morton that used to have an article on the local radio which was went for 25, 30 years, which was on this day where he... So uh, Frank talked him into reproducing that in book form, and we worked on two volumes of that, volume one and volume two. And then Frank asked me to get involved with him in this one, which was going to the pictures, which is basically a history of cinema in Water County generally. It also goes into Neuros, right. Van Mel, and Yawl. Okay. And the reason for uh, uh, it was my uh, uh, persuasion that I got him to go into Yawl. And the reason I wanted that was Yawl, well, in Yawl with the pioneers of filmmaking in Ireland, the Horgan brothers in Yawl were accredited in the Guinness Book of Records of the first documentary film produced in Ireland, which they produced in 1904. And again, there's a great story with that. In 1904, King Edward and Queen Alexandra came to Ireland. They came to Waterford and they went to Lismore Castle. And the Horgan brothers, there was three of them there. Two of them set up this hand-cranked camera up in a big high tripod in front of Lismore Castle. And a local policeman was worried about what this, the king would think with his gadget up there that he might think it was a machine gun or something. Right. So he went up in front of him, a big burly policeman, and he stood in front of the camera. And when the king was arriving, one of the brothers knocked his helmet off. And when he bent down to pick it up, the other fellow gave him a knee in the backside and put him sprawling on the ground. <laughs> and there was a Russian policeman to, to stop him walking this machine right. when the king and Queen Alexandra came along. And she said, no, 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 leave him, she said. They were only recording this, she said. Yeah. So th that is regarded as the first uh, Irish-made documentary. They also actually went in about two years later, then in 1906, between 1906 and 1908, they made attempts at animation, which was very early for animation. The main one they uh, tried was they tried to have gondolas go, sailing down the street in, in Yorl under the clock gate. But that was too complicated for them. But what they did do, and it's now been used worldwide in English-speaking colleges of uh, animation as, a, as, a, as an example. They had the clock gate in Yorl turning sideways and turning upside down and spinning on its head. And that film is available to the Film Institute in Dublin, if anyone wants to see Right. Um, so the going to the pictures is a series of stories and images. Some are taken from movies, yeah. but some of them then are the posters from the movies. 
and some of them then would be street scenes of of okay. cinemas yeah. etc. Yeah. in in the in the area, uh, capturing that time. Um, the and and the other thing I would notice is that there's some colour in that, whereas again in the the yeah. century of the other was all black and white. Yeah. Um, <coughs> So, are there any others that are on the way, or that you've heard? Well, again, since the going to the pictures, I was approached by History Press Ireland, right, uh, which came out of a, an exhibition of photographs I done for Heritage Week about I can't remember how many years ago, probably about four or five years ago. I done it in Tramore of street scenes of Tramore, and History Press Ireland came across it, and they do a series called Ireland and Old Photographs where they get people to do different towns right. and uh, so they approached me through the labour to know would I take it on to do the one and Tremor right. and um, because I had worked so much with Frank yeah. and Frank is a Tremor man yeah. at least he lived in Tremor now so I, I brought him on board so we done that and that came out you know, like I say three years ago and uh, it's sold out it's actually gone into second print run and that's sold out now right, right. Where do you store that amount of <laughs> material, physical material? Well, uh, safely. Because mm -hmm. I, I, on top of that, as well as I have a massive collection of um, cameras and projectors that right. going back to the 80s and 90s. Um, and uh, in my old, I'm retired of the business now, in my old office, I converted into a museum right. where I have uh, uh, 9.58. Super 8 and 16 millimeter projectors, and I also have cameras going back, dating back to um, 1890s. Also have things like uh, old 3D viewers going back to 1896. Um, lasers, which is what stopped the being to collect and stuff, was that uh, you couldn't get a glass. When when photography started developing first you had a fibre-based paper, so you couldn't get a glossy photograph because of matte finish always. Right. So they developed a system where uh, you had a, a, a square box, if you like, with a curved stainless steel top on it and a heating element underneath it and a canvas cover. And when you take the print out of the washer after washing the print and developing, you put it face down on this, you pull the canvas over, squeegee out most of the water out of it and then turn on the heating element. And the heat, stain, the heat on the stainless steel created the image, a gloss on the image, and that's what made the glossy photographs. Yeah, oh. Which is, when you talk about that to people, they just don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so then, something that was done then, how are they surviving time-wise? So if you were to look a print that was done that way, and you were looking at it today, um, would it have done? Well, it, it depends on the conditions that you're sorting. If it's sort in good dry conditions, it will last. Like, right. But you know, obviously, and if if it's a black and white print that's still a silver oxide base, it, it would if it gets um, is it, if it's affected by air, mm -hmm. it will tear on it. Mm -hmm. But if it's sepia toned, it'll be brown color. You also had other tones, like your copper tone, and you could you could just replace the silver oxide with copper, which would give you kind of a red effect, right? And brown and different tones. And there was a blue tone that years ago I would use if I had old, if you had uh, seascapes or snow scenes, you wouldn't tone them with brown. They wouldn't do anything. Right. So you tone them with a blue copper right. tone. Yeah. 
You mentioned that um, Noel Purcell was there when Moby Dick was being done. Mm. Within that collection, there must be some photographs of what are very notable historic figures um, from time to time. Yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, now I know Richard Beasop was in it, and um, Gregory Peck was in it, and he was in York. And also, in some of the photographs, we've identified some of the people in the background <coughs> who will be now or later known as well-known comedians like from Cork City, Chair Maya, one of them, mm-hmm. Maya was in the back of one of them. Right. And you, like, you, actually, I often remember a quote from a famous American uh, photographer, Ansel Adams, and he said, like, most people look at photographs, but you should always look into the photograph. Right. You know, and that's his saying. So there is so much in a photograph. Indeed, uh, like yeah. the depth rather the depth, than... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, because it's it, it recorded that fraction of a history of, of a second of history in time, it's recorded for all time. And when you mention that fraction of history in time, that's the other thing in that collection. Are there any instances in time that have been uniquely captured that um, are notable? There's the, the, the Brooklands, which was the last sailing ship to sail without an auxiliary engine on on these waters around Ireland. Right. And uh, well, I think it's an iconic one. I have a photograph of the Brooklands sailing into Waterford, up to shore, up into Waterford Harbour, with a steamer called the Powell sailing out. Okay. And so you have you have both uh, eras, if you like, the era of sail without an auxiliary engine and the era of steam both captured in the one one image things like that that's just one that comes to mind but like I say in in street scenes the changes in buildings and you can identify them to when happened there's other famous ones of uh, the Granville Hotel in Warsworth that was burned down and then they built a temporary shop on the quay in the opposite end of the quay and that would only lasted for a relatively short period of time while they were um, rebuilding the the original. So then, while that has been the collection, are you one to stand behind the camera yourself? Or do you prefer well, I, looking I, at other people's work? Well, no, I, I, for her, it was a hobby of mine as well. Right. And, and um, I, I still do to a certain extent, but not as much as I used. Right. But I used to... Actually, there's a... Due up soon... Um, a documentary about me coming up on the Irish television, Chichi Taha. They, they filmed me there mm, May, I think. May. And the TG Car, the documentary and the feature, when is when when is that due to go out? I don't know. Uh, I got it. It was supposed to go out in September. Okay. And. Um, all I got was that they would be notified when it's gone out so I don't know how much <laughs> uh, and the reason for that was that the, the teacher can have this the, the, it was Roseanne and Catherine Foley and Ring that made this okay and I knew them for they've done a number of sh- short films for teacher can have, and uh, I used to bring them with old photos and stuff far from time to time right. and uh, because the, the TG Carr then had changed their system and they wanted one producer that would produce a year's stuff from right. 
and he, they could, that producer couldn't walk to see what they for us. So they got on to Roseanne and Catlin to come up with some idea, and they came um, up with that's it. There, that's um, the yeah. company that's yeah. down in Ring, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they got on to meet. Initially, it was supposed to be on home movies, okay. basically. And they got on to me to know that I'd become involved with him. Right. Uh, because then anyway, I'd been missing for the movie. So then when we put to a proposal to to TG Cow, they said no to concentrate on me. That's that's nice. Um when you talk about the you have your some super eight or, or some going back to the sixteen millimeter and the old mm. um movies, what type of a collection have you in that or what what does oh, that I, cover? I'm not sure. I I have you see I used projective films for the Film Society in Waterford City from the mid-70s to the mid-90s. Right. And then they went digital and I back over it. So you, were, I always had an you were using the carbons? No, I wasn't actually, you know, the old, uh, I had initially Bell and Howard and then Elf projectors, which were, um, well, the, the, the carbon odds were before that, like in right. but, um I always had an interest in because even as a kid, and I went to school just down the road here, and I remember probably I must have been in first or second class, I'd say, and we were all brought into the master's room because there was a guy came along to go project us movies for us. I can still remember that day, but I can't remember what was on the screen because I was sitting back facing looking at the walking to the project yeah, yeah. since that. So maybe that's where I got my interest, I don't know. But yeah. I know I learned I learned to to do the carbon rods yeah. at one stage. Keeping an eye on them and watching and getting yeah, the, get the, the yeah. making sure they didn't burn out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and keep the, the gap and keep yeah, the space. Yeah, because yeah. your, your, your light would go down. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the collection, some of the. I'm an old nine, hand cranked 9.5 projectors, tiny little ones which your kids. And they filmed that, me projecting a, a shot, a bit of an old black and white film on that. But that's just. And that all came out because of the COVID, because. Our daughter is the manager of a home store more and more for them. She was out of work. And right. She's a fanatic at tidying and cleaning. And she sat on the top of the house and walked down, and all this stuff started coming out of the tops of wardrobes and in the attic and everything. I'd forgotten I had such a collection of stuff. Right. And uh, so I used the old office of my business uh, to, as a, a, a display area from. I just happened to be in the middle of doing that when T.J. Cahill came on to me to make the film. So. so do you see yourself transferring the movie, the, the uh, reels, into uh, digital? Yeah, well, some of the stuff that I took, and I took in uh, um, 1978, I filmed the Flacciola in Ennis. Okay. Which was 70, sorry, 76, which was the first time, the first of the Flan Newers, which was a non competitive flag, just music only. And I filmed that in 76, and I have got that digitized, and it has been used in by Dr. Geraldine Cotter in UCL uh, for a lecture there a couple of years ago in Limerick. Right. Because if it cause, it's uh, some of the much older musicians now, as kids, Okay. Playing in, in Ennis, which is, you know, building the same. And uh, I've other stuff then, I made uh, films of, um, like the last train that went on the line from 
came from Kilkenny through Kilmacomas up to the factory in Balnacorti. He used to travel up and down to his, we used to call it the Dolomite train because he was bringing this Dolomite that was mined on Kilkenny up to a Fraser factory that was in Balnacorti. And um, the, I, on, when that was closing down, I got with two of my sons onto the last, one of the last trains, and I filmed it. So it's historic now because that was, would have been in the. Um, Probably the 70s, early 80s. And that would be part of some of the route of the Greenway now, would it? Yes, to be under the, the route of the Greenway. And when the Greenway was opening, I did an exhibition of photographs for the opening of the Greenway in Kilmer Thomas. Right. And I knew I had this film somewhere, but I couldn't find it in the house. But <laughs> no, the no, 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 you yeah. can't. And uh, the Chichi Carr, um, they funded the, the tons of selling of that to. to, to it's up uh, to broadcast quality digital. Well, you know. Right. So then, of the older stuff, when you when you got your collection of still photography, yeah. did you get? Have you acquired old motion as well, or was is all the movie your own stuff? No, I, the, the, I have old sixteen millimeter film goes back to, to the nineteen thirties, uh, which I acquired by accident from him again. It was back in time when I was projecting films for the Film Society. Right. I had an old bell and hole. Yeah. Which. Uh, I was scared of my life was going to break down in the middle of the film some night, so I decided to go see could I pick up a second projector. In the local newspaper, a guy had his Bell and Howell projector for sale for the time, 20 quid, which is in the mid 70s. Right. And uh, I went in to order to see him, to see it on the Saturday, and to prove to me that was, the, the projector was an ancient old yoke with a transformer that was bigger than the unit itself. <laughs> and uh, I didn't want it to know good to me like this, so, but he, to prove to me that it was working, he produced this real film, put it on it, and I recognised straight away that it was the 1930s. So I gave him the 20 quid for the film and told him to keep the projector. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. And among that was the enthroning of a bishop in the cathedral in Lismore. Right. Possibly only maybe maybe a minute, less than a minute of it. Right. And other things there was, uh, and how dated it is, there was a um, children's outing to Tramore from Waterford, where there was a competition that was run by the Waterford News, newspaper. Yeah. And it was a free flight competition. There was an aircraft on the strand in Tremor. And this was the mayor, Jones, at the time. Uh, with the, uh, I have still, this is how I have a still photograph of him pulling the ticket for the draw. Right. And here we have the 16mm film of the actual kids and the plane on, on the beach in, in Tremor. And it's been a, a, a fascinating and fun conversation, and I know time we're, we're, we're out of time, but it has been fascinating and fun. Um, I will strongly urge to keep an eye on the schedule for TG Cahar, uh, and I'll try, when I hear that it's coming up, I'll put out a tweet on uh, Facebook, because it would be available on the TG Cahar player, I'm sure. It would be, yeah. It will. And um, uh, the books, what is still, are any that would still be in print, where might somebody be able to get some if they want to buy some of these, like, uh, going to the pictures, yeah, is, is available through Frank O'Donoghue or myself. Right. These, the trade and enterprise, very limited supply left. Uh, possibly maybe twenty of them left. Maybe yeah. maximum twenty. This, there's probably the uh, Torchips book, the two century of Torchips 
in Waterford. There's probably about 50 to 60 of them left. And if they wanted to get in touch with you for anything like that, how yeah. would they get in touch with you? Well, they could get in touch with me by email, I suppose, and that's A D K E L. Or small case, A D K E L two zero zero eight at gmail dot com. That's quite simple and straightforward. And it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a million for taking the time. No problem. Thank you. Memories are made of this. Memories are